This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Coming up, we'll hear about a number of schools in Missouri that are Purple Star designations as Missouri salutes the sacrifices made by military children. Horror and sci-fi lovers are making their way to Kansas City for Panic Fest. We'll learn more about that. The University of Missouri is fighting cancer with radioactive elements. We'll hear about that in a few moments. But first, Democratic Representative Richard Brown wants to make a new traffic law that would allow us to make a left on red lights. Anthony Morbeth is here with more. This bill would put us in alignment with 42 other states in the nation that currently have this law. The states that border the state of Missouri have this law. And so to make it convenient for all drivers uh, in those in the region, uh, I think that it would be good to have a law that is consistent. Now, when we talk about uh, the certain criteria, uh, it would be from a one way you would be able to turn left on a red light, just like you do red, right on red, except you're going to turn from a one way and turn left onto a one way unless there are signs that specifically prohibit the maneuver. I will tell you, as someone who's moved around as often as I have, you never quite think about turning left on red. And I've, I'll be the first to tell you, I've, I've actually uh, never heard of this sort of thing be, being permitted and being allowed uh, despite that. Um, so this is relatively new to me. But the one thing that you said, which I kind of wanted to focus on for a moment here, one-way street to a one-way street, because uh, not here to assume or generalize, but uh, those who may be half listening will be like, what, there's a representative looking to uh, uh, allow turning left on red Missouri? What, what's going on here? So a one-way street, uh, so obviously not a two-way street, so one, uh, drivers going in one direction, turning onto another one-way street. Yes, oftentimes you'll see these uh, configurations in downtown settings, such as Kansas City. Uh, by the way, Kansas City, Missouri does have a city ordinance that does permit this maneuver um, because for these congested areas of the city, uh, it alleviates some of the traffic congestion. It's also a matter of convenience. We had traffic engineers take a look at this, come in and testify in favor of the bill. MoDOT is also in favor of the bill. It, it doesn't affect a whole lot of uh, MoDOT roads. There are a few, but again, uh, they came in and they uh, testified for informational purposes, and it did not seem like they had anything bad to say about left turn on red. I'm actually glad you brought that up because I was listening slash watching uh, the committee. And the one thing that they said, which I kind of wanted to bring up and ask, and that is more of if this passes, gets signed into law, becomes law here in Missouri, uh, potential confusion this could cause for one-way street turning left on red into a two-way street or vice versa and, and things like that. Do you think this could potentially create any sort of confusion in terms of uh, what drivers should know, how they should know this, and how this, I guess, could be enforced? So this has been looked at. Uh, according to the traffic engineer, there are uh, very few incidents where they have had these type of accidents. And when they do have these accidents, they tend to be at low speed. Um, being able to turn left from a one-way onto a one-way, it's uh, a, a continuous movement. You're not going across any forms of traffic. Uh, right here in Columbia, in, 
In fact, there is a intersection where there is a divergent triangle, and it is my understanding that uh, cars have to stop when they could be continually moving through the light once they come to the stop and make that left-hand turn, and, and there's no problem in that particular area. Uh, as was attested to by a traffic engineer last night. So I am uh, very confident that we can get this passed through. It did pass two years ago on the House floor. I believe the vote was 121 to zero. Uh, it's a bipartisan effort. Uh, the bill was originally handled by Representative Chuck Basie, a Republican, and I was the co-sponsor. Representative Basie has since termed out, and I've gone ahead and carried the bill. And now we're going to try to get it across the finish line. And it's truly a bipartisan effort. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Democratic Representative Richard Brown. His proposed House Bill 34 looks to allow motor vehicles to turn left on red when turning onto a one-way street. So uh, you had mentioned, uh, obviously, this is being allowed in Kansas City currently. I was listening to the testimony of one of the individuals who said he ran into this problem, I believe, in Colombia. Uh, not to mention the fact that there's 42 states who currently allow this. So my question is, what would the difference between be between this piece of legislation and the other 240 states? Would it basically mirror those? Yeah, this uh, legislation basically mirrors the other states. And again, uh, just trying to bring some consistency to traffic laws in the region. I know when I go out of town, often I would ask police officers if left on red was allowed. Uh, some officers knew the law in their state and they would say yes. Others would say, I don't know. And then uh, there were some that would just tell me no, because they, I guess they felt that was the safe answer. Uh, but again, the purpose is to give consistency to the traffic laws in our region. If this gets signed into law by the governor and it passes through the state legislature, could we potentially see signs being put up uh, on these intersections? Or are you going to, uh, I guess, rest on the idea that this is going to be added to the uh, driving handbook that Missourians have to study when they uh, get their license? Hopefully, this will be something that will catch on with all drivers across the state, just as Right on Red has. Um, I would uh, expect, I would expect this to be in the driver's manual uh, because it will be a new rule and regulation to the road. But I also hope that this will be a popular law that will take place in the state of Missouri. On that same note, I, I can't imagine implementing either signs or putting it in the Missouri driver's handbook would be too costly to taxpayers. So with this uh, legislation, we specifically said, except for where prohibited, okay? Uh, the reason for that is we don't want to put up a whole lot of signs. You know, signs they can uh, take away from the environment and the area, uh, looks unsightly. Uh, and in areas where it would be prohibited, there will probably be fewer of those areas than those that it would be allowed. So from a cost point of view, it would be much cheaper for municipalities because, again, keep in mind, uh, many of the MoDOT roads, this would not affect. It would mainly affect local municipalities. And so to keep the cost of signage down, we would only 
require signage in those areas where the maneuver would not be prohibit would not be allowed. Final question and concluding thoughts. We're talking with Democratic State Representative Richard Brown here on Show Me Today. His proposed House Bill 34 allowing and proposing to allow, I should say, motor vehicles to turn left on red when turning onto a one-way street. Uh, final question, and, and that is, this has been proposed in the past. You said that it passed previously in the House of Representatives. What has prevented this from becoming law in the past? Is it something as simple as it's just gotten caught up in the weeds, ran out of time? So back in 2021, which was the last time it passed out of the House, as I mentioned earlier, 121 to zero, uh, the bill was sent over to the Senate. But as some of your listeners may recall, in 2021, the Senate shut down a little bit early. It was premature in shutting down, but they did. And that effectively ended the uh, course of legislation uh, for this bill. So uh, I'm hopeful this year, now that we've had a hearing, uh, I will be able to get this tacked on as an amendment onto some other omnibus uh, transportation bill, and that we'll have enough time to get across to the Senate, get it uh, passed out, and get it to the governor's desk. It's House Bill 34. You can keep in touch with the latest movements of that and every bill going through the Missouri House of Representatives at house.mo.gov. And all you have to do is just click the search bar and type in the specific bill number you're looking for. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Over the past few years, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected how we live our daily lives. Today, one in five Americans experience emotional and mental health challenges, but many of us do not understand what we are facing or how to ask for help. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental health. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit mentallyhealthynation.org to learn more. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Back on Show Me Today, the University of Missouri is the only university in the U.S. to create cancer-fighting radioactive elements called medical isotopes. They are created by a small nuclear reactor in Columbia. Now the university wants to create a bigger reactor that can do more. Director of the MER program, Matt Sanford, talks to Ashley Bird about this project that saves thousands of lives each day. MER stands for MU Research Reactor. And uh, it's exciting to talk about MER and then also the prospects of a new reactor here in Columbia. So you might not know that every year, more than 1.6 million cancer and cardiac patients are treated or diagnosed using the radioisotopes that MER produces. And without MER, the U.S. would completely rely on imports of these critical radioisotopes to treat its patients. One of the reasons MER is able to do this is MER is the most powerful university-operated reactor in the United States. And it is a specially designed research reactor, not a power reactor that is used to generate electricity. This reactor is uniquely able to produce medical radioisotopes in the fight against cancer. And this is the only reactor in the world research or power reactors that operates 52 weeks a year, making it a great resource for researchers and companies producing medical isotopes around the world. Matt, tell me, uh, how is it, I mean, there's power and then there's the creation of this radioisotopes. How, what are some of the key differences between the two? Mainly it's smaller. This reactor here in Columbia is a 10 megawatt research reactor compared to the Callaway nuclear power plant, which is 1,500 megawatts. This reactor enables the irradiation of small samples that can be removed each week for the production of medical isotopes. I can give you some examples. So sure. Murr, Murr is the sole U.S. producer of four critical medical radioisotopes. One of them, yttrium-90, which is used for the treatment of liver cancer. Molybdenum-99, which is the most commonly used medical radioisotope in the United States, used for the analysis of heart functions. Burr is the only producer of that isotope in the U.S. Also, the second most commonly used medical isotope, iodine-131, which is used for the treatment of thyroid cancer and very effective for that use and also lutetium-177, which is used for the treatment of pancreatic and prostate cancers. So this sounds not only critical, but also valuable. What does this do for the university? Does the university make money off of this? How does this benefit us in, in more ways, obviously, besides helping cure cancer? 
Burr has a wonderful combination of research, education, and medical radioisotope production all living together under one roof, each supporting the other. Our research and scientific staff are key contributors to the isotope production efforts that are happening here. And the revenues generated from those services are all used to fund additional research programs so that we can have the next discoveries and the next solutions to cancer. We're talking to Matt Sanford, who is the interim director of the MU Research Reactor. And the big news here is that you're going to expand that. You're going to build that uh, larger new re- research reactor. The new reactor we're calling Next Gen Mer, and it is foreseen as an approximately 20 megawatt research reactor, whereas the current reactor is 10 megawatts. And with a more intense source of neutrons, and more physical space for research and isotope production, NextGen MER will enable MU to build on its nationally recognized research, education, and training programs, as well as bolster MU's role in the development of new treatments and scientific discoveries. In other words, we'll be able to make more medical isotopes and create more new ones with a newer reactor. This has got to be exciting for the the research at the university. What what kind of what, what does it spark? What does it build? Do you grow even more areas of research? Mer currently supports a broad range of research programs that span radiochemistry, material science, life science, engineering, and social sciences, along with MU's campus partners. Mer supports a a bench to bedside concept with the infrastructure we have underpinning our discoveries all the way through clinical trials. So MER manufactures FDA-compliant active ingredients, and we collaborate with other areas of MU, such as the MU Molecular Imaging and Theranostic Center, the MU Veterinary Health Center, and the MU Division of Animal Sciences. So that's all part of of the next-gen mission, I guess, and and not just the, the Roy Blunt facility, but it's bigger. You're talking about building a new facility in a new place off campus. Is that right? Correct. So tell me, tell me more about that. Uh, the, the current one's on campus. The current reactor is on campus and we envision the new reactor, the next gen MER reactor would be built at the Discovery Ridge area south of Columbia. And that's a lot more space. Um, then talk about safety. How, how, since this is close, very close to, you know, residential areas and stuff, what kind of safety can you guarantee our listeners? <laughs> well, safety is always number one at MER. And a nuclear reactor is located inside of a special building. And like any building, you need a construction permit. And construction permits for this kind of facility are not only managed uh, by uh, local and state agencies, They're the responsibility of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission in Washington, D.C. And the NRC would issue a construction permit for the new reactor facility, and later they would grant an operating license after the design and construction is completed. And those licenses are only issued when all the safety requirements are met. And MER has a great track record, an excellent track record over its 56-year history of safety and regulatory compliance. I mean, we're, we're clearly are talking about you're issuing a request and all of that. So I guess the, I mean, is, is you're on track. Let's say best case scenario, everything is bitted out and everything's great. How long does it take to build a reactor like this? 
We're in the initial stages of the next gen MER initiative. So the timeline is still being determined. So the first step is the request for qualifications, request proposals to solicit interest qualified parties. We expect this process will take two to three years. Construction and completion will be dependent on the final designs, but we anticipate NextGen MER will take approximately 10 years to plan, design, and construct. I imagine it's kind of a well-kept secret still around Columbia, you know, that this is this is going on 52 weeks a year, and, and now it will bring even more research and, and more things. Now, does this Explain to folks how revolutionary this is on a, on a national and a worldwide scale. So nuclear science is an amazing field of study. And what's happening here at the University of Missouri and at MER in, in many ways is unique in the world. And there are so many practical technologies that depend on research reactors. And we have an important job here at the reactor, researching and producing nuclear medicine. This is a branch of healthcare that uses tiny amounts of radioactive material to take images of our internal organs and diagnose and treat disease. And every day, thousands of people receive a heart or a bone scan in hospitals all over the country. And the medical isotopes inside these drugs are made right here in MU's research reactor. So we're talking about a, a project that'll grow business in the economy exponentially yes. across mid-Missouri. Yes, you know, the university's mission is research, education, service, and economic development. And MER is a destination for companies who need these critical life-saving medical radioisotopes. And we often work with them to site their operations at or near the reactor that does bring uh, jobs and great people to the Columbia area. You're listening to Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. We're talking with Matt Sanford, who's the interim director, MU Research Reactor. We're talking about the possibilities of the next gen MURR or MER. How excited is your staff about this and its potential as, as your, your job at, in directing this, this project, this program? How excited are they about what this could do? They're extremely excited. So it's a 24-7 operation here at the reactor, and making medical isotopes is a real team effort here with work going on around the clock. And the employees at MER know that they're saving lives, that they're doing something that no other university can do, no other reactor can do in the United States. And this will grow, as you mentioned earlier, grow that research, so they're probably very excited about that, too. They are And the recent approval of new drugs by the FDA uses a technology called targeted radiotherapy, which is changing the way cancers are treated. Targeted radiotherapy has allowed doctors and scientists to connect radioisotopes, like the ones made at MER, to molecules that when they are injected into the body, go directly to cancer cells and kill those cancer cells. Are we nearing, this is a question I'm sure you get asked all the time, and it's unfair, but are, are we getting closer to really nailing some of these cancers? The new advances in targeted radiotherapy have been very effective, and every day researchers are developing new radioisotopes and new targeting molecules to target different cancers. There are over 1,500 
studies happening in clinical trial studies right now using these technologies and over half of those new agents would require isotopes that would have to be made at a reactor like MER or MER Next Gen. Thanks for joining us on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, 
coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Horror and sci-fi lovers making their way to Kansas City for Panic Fest, running through the 28th. One of the feature short films is The Heritage. Director and writer of the film, Andrew Rutter, and leading actor, Catherine Giorgio, are here with Marshall Griffin to discuss the making of the film and its role in Panic Fest. How did you two hear about uh, Panic Fest? Or is it, was there, I know there's a producer that's involved in this as well, was was uh, he involved in uh, getting this film shown in uh, in Kansas City? So um, I think I'd heard about Panic Fest um, just during during the rounds, during the circuit for previous uh, films. I hadn't actually played a film at, at Panic Fest before, and I'd, I really wanted to. And uh, I think sometimes when you make a film, the timing just doesn't work out in terms of the submission uh, window. But uh, luckily, um, this new film, The Heritage, uh, just timed up perfectly for the submission process and uh, just had to get it in. Well, how important and how successful and fruitful are film festivals towards uh, getting your work out there? Uh, film festivals are like, I, I think they're, they're absolutely amazing for, for, you know, making those connections. If you can actually attend the festivals, obviously, it's even better. But I mean, this my my film uh, the heritage is actually, you know, the success. The reason why it exists is because of a film festival. <laughs> uh, you know, I had a previous film playing, I think, I believe it was maybe Beyond Fest and um, uh, the 20th Digital team who uh, produced this film and, and you know, got it um, made. They saw the, uh, my previous film and actually got in touch. And uh, now the heritage exists because they'd seen it at a film festival. And now it's here at Panic Fest. Right. I think that's also a thing to say about Panic Fest as well. You know, it's it's known for a couple of their shorts being made into big features, you know, which is something of all the different festivals. So I write as well, and um, I'm just about to start directing on a film, which will be doing the festival circuits as well. And that's the thing that's really important is, it, you know, it's the networks that you make and it's the exposure. They're like, it's like, um, you know, back in the day when you used to walk around with those big things with your artwork in. Essentially, a film festival is that for, for filmmakers. <laughs> so they're really, really important. Mm, that's, 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 that's interesting to hear because, you know, how do you get something distributed? How do you get people's attention? And uh, this, uh, obviously, film festivals is a, a great vehicle for that. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin, and we are speaking uh, with uh, we're speaking with director Andrew Rutter, who is joining us live from Birmingham, England, and actress Catherine Giorgio, who's joining us from London. Uh, all the way across the Atlantic. Let's talk about the heritage. I saw this movie. I saw. I thank you for the clip, uh, the link, so that I could watch it. And I, I must tell you, I I was blown away. I was kind of disturbed. <laughs> it was. I don't think I've seen. I mean, I've seen plenty of horror movies, but uh, I don't think I've seen anything quite like this. Um, who came <laughs> up with the idea for the heritage? I mean, you you were the writer, I'm assuming, right, Andrew? Yeah, so uh, me and uh, a co-writer, Chris Butler, um, we I had the idea probably about 10 years ago. Um, it was just one of those ideas that it always kind of made me laugh. It always kind of kept me interested. And um, 
I just think sometimes an idea, if it, if, if it lingers around long enough, um, it usually means it's begging to be made. And unfortunately, at the time when I had the idea, you know, it's as you as you know, it's quite heavy on the prosthetics and all the effects in there, the practical effects. And at the time when I had the idea, you know, I just thought it's not possible to do this with no money, essentially, without it looking really silly, I suppose. Um, and then obviously, uh, along come 20th Digital and I, I pitched the idea to them and then they love it. And then all of a sudden it's uh, it's alive, so to speak. <laughs> now, for our listening audience uh, that trying to get a mental picture of what this is, kind of just tell us without giving too much away. Tell us what this the, I guess the plot of the movie, the, the creature that's in this movie. Yeah, sure. So um, it's essentially about a, a, a guy who's gone throughout his life without knowing his, his his dad you know without knowing his biological father and um you know uh, he, he's now he's been given the opportunity to actually meet his biological father and um you know he's nervous and he goes goes to the house goes to meet him and you know the dad turns out to be a big giant fleshy blob in a chair and so he's not he's not exactly what he expects him to be. And then the the, the film essentially is about this meeting and how, what what transpires. And uh, Catherine, you play uh, the uh, the son's fiance, and unfortunately, yes. you go inside the house at the end of this. <laughs> I do very unwittingly, not knowing uh, <laughs> what to expect. Um, and when I first read the script as well, I, I saw it on um, a casting website here in the UK. And I saw, you know, I, there was a description of it and all of the uh, with the 20, 20th century digital that is backing and it all sounded a bit too good to be true. And then I read the script and I was like, this is insane. <laughs> I really want to be a part of this. Um, and yeah, it's something that it's, I think it's really good with screenwriting where you do stuff that the audience don't expect. And this film continually does that. Like you never expect any of the angles that come into it. And I think that's a really interesting, interesting to watch. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We are speaking with actress Catherine Giorgio and writer-director Andrew Rudder about the short film The Heritage, which is being featured at Panic Fest in Kansas City. Is it possible that this man who turns into a creature, or maybe he's been one all along, who knows, but uh, it seems like maybe spending all of your time on the couch in front of a TV, this seems like this is an exaggerated morphing of what internally might uh, happen to any one of us, <laughs> just with <laughs> just without the, uh, the prosthetics and tentacles, I should say. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, you know, I, I, I usually, I'd say to the 20th Digital team that that the uh, the creature in it is, is is me during COVID. Basically, it's just uh, more sat to a chair, glued to it. Um, but also, I think for me, the 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 creature, so to speak, he he's a product of hatred as well. You know, he's. I, I sometimes think uh, the ugliness of that character is is the hate he, he carries and. I think he's he's kind of it's almost like a ludicrous absurdity is that he's he's physically morphed into this uh you know monstrosity in in the house blob of hatred yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that that seems to just suck everyone in around him as well absolutely absolutely you know it's poisonous um and one interesting character was the uh, the, the 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 woman caretaker who seems to be um, both a prisoner of the situation and also 
an accomplice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's great. Uh, that was uh, Emily Swain. She She's absolutely fantastic. And she really made that character her own as well. And um, yeah, she, she the poor the poor woman's stuck in that house with this blob eating eating cheese. And we don't know where this cheese has come from either. Let's just assume it's it's, it's Albert. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did warn me uh, to make sure you to not eat anything before watching. <laughs> this. <laughs> It was one of those ones when we were on set as well. And, you know, we're doing things. We're just like, what is on inside your brain? What goes on inside your brain when you think of <laughs> Will either of you or will uh, the producer or anyone associated with this film be attending Panic Fest in Kansas City? So we've been trying to make it work uh, to kind of get over from the UK. I mean, it, it's unfortunately not looking as likely at the moment, but uh, I, I, honestly, I never want to I never say never at the moment. Um, still trying to make that work. Uh, we've got a little bit of time to try and figure it out. It's always a bit it's always a bit of a tricky one um, attending any festival to, these days, to be honest, <laughs> even if it's in the UK. So we're trying to get over that hurdle and get over to the get over to um, Panic Fest and, and be there in person because it looks absolutely amazing. The great thing about Panic Fest as well is that they're they're hosting like obviously a virtual a virtual platform as well, um, which I think is amazing because. You know, a lot of a lot of people who can't make it, you know, for all kinds of different reasons, still get to experience the festival. And I'm glad that they've kept this kind of hybrid, like a lot of festivals got rid of it as soon as COVID was kind of away, so to speak. Um, but no, they, they've they've got a really great hybrid now. So that's that's fantastic, I think. Let's focus on some other things. Uh, Catherine, you've been you've been in this business for I guess I don't. Well, uh, this is, of course, not your first project. Uh, you've. Um, anyone who has watched uh, training videos here in the U.S. Uh, might be f uh, familiar with you. Uh, tell us some of the other things you've done and what you what you plan to be working on. You said you uh, also are directing as well. Yeah. So, um, so yes, if you know The Inside Man, I'm Fiona Hudson and season regular in The Inside Man, which is a, a great gig. It's lovely to be part of. Um, we've just filmed our season five and we'll be filming season six next year, I think. Um, so that's lovely to be part of. And then, yeah, doing lots of, I mean, some of the British soaps that unfortunately you don't see in America um, and different independent films and and like any actor <laughs> you get your work when you get it right um but i'm also doing writing and directing as well um and i'm uh i've just raised all the funds to do to start filming my one of the shorts in june i'm doing one in june and that i'm directing and then another one that i'm producing and acting in a bit later in june as well so yes loving the writing loving the directing loving the producing loving the acting all of those things so watch this space there's going to be more to come um it's a very it's a profession where you never really know, you know, it's not like um, where you get have an, a normal job and you go in and you get a set salary and you know what you're doing every day. It's completely different. When I was filming The Inside Man, I was also filming this British soap Emmerdale at the same time. So I was going between London one day and then Leeds in the north of England the next and then up and down, up and down. And then you don't get anything for a little bit. And that's just the way it goes. But um, yes, I still have a lot of drive and passion for it. So that, that you'll see me in more things for sure. Hopefully, and hopefully on this side of the Atlantic. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, yes, keep all of your tentacles crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to. I'll try to do that. Um, <laughs> Andrew, uh, you've is now. Did I read this correctly? Is this your first directing project, or have you done, you've done some other directing? I'm assuming, right? 
Yeah, so this is this isn't the first. No, um, I've done a few uh, short, mainly short films uh, previously, and a few music videos here and there. To, you know, when I when I first began, but this is uh, this is my first project that is more stateside, I suppose, because this was you know twentieth um, 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 digital. They're really great champions of finding you know undiscovered talent, and then. Uh, um, which is and then, and then basically doing like a short to, short to feature program for 20th Digital's like uh, bite size Halloween uh, series. Um, so I was one of the lucky kind of few on the season three, uh, and that I should mention it's uh, David, Arby, and Jenna who are like kind of spearheading this this um, this show, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, so this is my kind of first uh, states based kind of project, I suppose. Show me today. I see you finally got a new helmet. I did. Bought it cheap online. <laughs> Follow me. We'll turn off here. I'm right behind you. Watch the cars. They can be crazy. Teddy! No! Are you okay? Somebody do something! Was this young man hit by a car? Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new helmet. It's probably a fake. Fakes cause real harm. You're smart. Buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. I've been driving trucks for a long time. Safety is my number one priority. I know that my truck has huge blind spots. That's why I remember to check my mirrors often for smaller vehicles. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're behind the wheel, try to avoid lingering in those blind spots. It can be dangerous. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. The first three years of every child's life are critical. Learn more about early intervention. How your baby or toddler plays, learns, talks, acts, and moves give important clues as to how they are developing. If you have any questions or concerns about whether your baby or toddler's development is on track, please call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. 
We're back on Show Me Today. Each April, Missouri salutes the sacrifices made by military children and some of the schools committed to serving them. Purple Star designations have been awarded to Warrensburg, Knob Noster, Blair Oaks, Carl Junction, DeSoto, Hickory County, and St. Clair. Alisa Nelson talks to Grace Mitcheltree, a junior at Warrensburg High School, about growing up in the military. Dandelions grow and bloom virtually anywhere their roots are planted. They symbolize happiness, strength, courage, endurance, and hope. Dandelion is a word sometimes used to describe America's military-connected children, from missing their deployed parent to making frequent moves and wondering if their loved one is safe. Their sacrifice is a lot to endure. During a ceremony this month at the state capitol, Missouri's roughly 12,000 dandelions were recognized for the strength and courage that they exemplify each day and the schools who go above and beyond the call of duty to serve them. The Missouri Department of Elementary and Secondary Education launched the Purple Star program in 2021. For this year, the department has awarded seven school districts and four schools with a Purple Star designation. This year's Purple Star school districts are Blair Oaks, Carl Junction, DeSoto, Hickory County, Knob Noster, St. Clair, and Warrensburg. Governor Mike Parson, a U.S. Army veteran, attended the ceremony. And I'm recognized like so many veterans across the state and across our country. But I will tell you the people that don't get recognized enough and why today is so important to me, what Brian's doing and why you're here today. Wives, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, and our children. Us veterans get recognized a lot, and rightfully so. But I tell you, you cannot do the job without the support of your family. And your family has to make certain sacrifices. Many of you in this room has probably went to several, if I'm guessing, duty stations. You may be in Missouri for a while, you may be in another state for a while, and that is the life of the military, of what it is, and the sacrifices that we make, and why it was so important for me to come here and just basically tell you thank you. State Education Commissioner Margie Van Dieven touted the program. She says the program is just one way to reiterate our state's commitment to our service members. Brian Henry is the Missouri Commissioner for the Military Interstate Children's Compact Commission. The commission is designed to protect the transitional needs of military students. Children of military service members will undergo numerous transitions throughout their educational career, which results in an average of six to nine moves prior to graduating from high school. Uh, while these transitions are not easy, uh, despite disruption, the strength and resilience of military children make them successful regardless of the school they attend, and their outstanding contributions enhance the educational experience of all children in their classrooms and their schools. Missouri has two active duty bases, Whiteman Air Force Base in West Central Missouri's Knob Noster and Fort Leonard Wood in Southern Missouri's Waynesville. The state has roughly 43,000 members in military uniform and service civilians making sacrifices for their country. Colonel Daniel Deal, the commander of the 509th Bomb Wing at Whiteman Air Force Base, said military children experience life differently than other children. And in that experience, and with the support of our communities, it provides the support that our military children need to not only survive, 
but to thrive in this great land. Colonel Joseph Cleet Getz, commandant of the U.S. Army Engineer School at Fort Leonard Woods, said military children play a crucial role. They're our biggest supporters for the folks in uniform. They're our source of pride. And at the end of the day, when we come home, whether it's in the field, long day of work or deployment, they're the first people that we want to see. And they're people that matter to us most. But you know what's funny is if you want to see a military lot, military child kind of lock up upstairs, ask them where they're from. That's like being asked a difficult question on a test. But just like the military requires us to grow, relocate, adapt, and be resilient, it requires the same of our children. They relocate new homes, new teachers, new friends, new support systems, and it makes you more resilient. And ultimately, it's going to help you achieve your potential. I promise you that. So I, I think we would all agree that our kids also serve alongside us, and yet their stories don't get told as often as the stories of those of us here in uniform. Grace Mitchell-Tree was born into military life. She is a junior at Warrensburg High School. So many memories this early in my life has made possible from being a military child. Not everything was sunshine and rainbow, rainbows, I promise you that. But that is what I love most because every experience, good or bad, has made me grow into who I am today and what I will always be in the future, an Air Force brat. Brave, resilient, adaptable, and trustworthy. Six schools in the Warrensburg School District were designated as Purple Star Schools in 2022. Michaela Moreau, a seventh grader at Waynesville Public Schools, has lived in England, New Mexico, Arkansas, Arizona, and Missouri. She said Waynesville School District is different from some of the other schools she has attended. So Waynesville is definitely a lot more accepting and more understanding than some other schools because I have to been I have been to some schools that they don't have any military children at all. So they do ask a lot of questions and kind of judge you based on that. So Waynesville is definitely a lot more understanding than other districts. Waynesville was designated as a Purple Star School District in 2022. Schools that earn the designation will get a special star recognition to display on site and on the school district or individual school building website. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show me today.